The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Jay Martin, the president of Cambridge House International, presenters of the International Metal Writers Conference, which I'll be attending in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on May 28th and 29th. Should you decide to attend, you'll have the opportunity to hear firsthand from over 40 expert analysts discussing precious and base metals, critical and rare earth elements, globe-trotting ultra-successful investors, sharing insight on geopolitical risk and opportunity, celebrity miners discussing how they found, built, and sold their projects, millennial CEOs who have already created hundreds of millions of dollars in wealth, Morningstar's top-ranked gold fund manager in the world discussing where he's putting his money, and over 60 junior mining companies with projects across the globe. Jay Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Ellis. Tell me about this exciting conference at the end of the month. We're May 28-29, Vancouver Convention Center, and what's most exciting about this show is the variety on the podium. We've got such an awesome array of speakers from millennial CEOs who are already generating substantial returns for their investor base up to mining legends like Ira Thomas and Marco Day. I'm super jacked. I imagine Ira Thomas is going to have quite a bit to say and she'll be fielding a few questions about the successes that she's been involved with over the years. She's someone that if you've invested in any of her projects in the last 10 years, you made a substantial return. We've never had Ira speak for us before, so I'm very excited to have her on the podium. You've skewed towards experts, newsletter writers, those individuals that cover the sector, in addition to star companies. This conference is a little bit different than the rest of them. Well, it's different from the last couple of years, yeah. So in the last year and a half, two years, most of our content has been focused on either money managers or high-performing CEOs because there hasn't been a ton of newsletter writers that have been actively picking stocks. It's been a very tough game. And so many of the writers that used to speak for us have just not been sticking their neck out, right? It's been very challenging. And that's changed in the last six months, 12 months. We've seen a resurgence. And number one, a lot of the writers that used to come out and speak and write and, and have substantial followings, they're now picking stocks again. They're taking placements and they're worth following, right? And there's a number of new guys as well that we've invited out. I mean, our, our intention here is to connect our issuers, the exhibitors on the floor and our attendees with new content they haven't heard before, whether that's an old writer with new content or a new writer altogether. Have you noticed that most of the newsletter writers that are willing to speak these days are actually putting their money where their mouths are? Yeah, I hope so. We try to make sure that's the case every single time. It's important, right? We're responsible for providing credible information. And if we've got an individual who's being loud about the stocks they're picking, but not actually backing those positions up, we can't stand behind that. So this is something that you actually follow before you allow anyone to speak at your events? 100%. Let's talk about some of the panelists that are going to be speaking. 
are recovering precious metals, base metals, energy minerals, and that sort of thing? All of it. Yeah. So there is a heavy precious metal focus. You know, it's Vancouver. A lot of the companies out here are gold, silver, precious metal companies. So we're opening up the show on Sunday morning with a keynote from Frank Holmes. And Frank's rated this year as the top performing gold fund manager in the world by Morningstar. He's always exciting. He's always optimistic and fun. He's a great way to open the show. And following him, we've got a feature called Top Picks at the Show. And this is moderated by Rick Rule, but we're inviting five or six of our newsletter writers that will be keynoting throughout the show in the coming day or two. But they're going to kick off the conference by picking their top picks on the floor. So investors have the opportunity right at the jump to hear who our writers are following, who they're recommending, and then hit the floor and have those conversations. What is some of the feedback that you're getting from attendees that have already signed up? I've been blown away by the registrations. You know, we used to do two shows a year in Vancouver, and we pared it down to one last year just because we didn't see the appetite in Vancouver for two large-scale resource investment conferences, and that's changed. Our pre-registrations have blown away my expectation. We had a pretty ambitious goal of 3,500 investors at this show, and I don't see a problem hitting that at all. I understand you've added a new feature, and attendees will be able to take advantage of it directly at the Metal Writers Conference this month. We've added a meeting concierge to this conference, and this is something we've experimented with in the past, but the goal here is to increase engagement between investors and companies and speakers. All participants will have the opportunity to log on to this new software we've just released, and it allows our attendees to book one-on-one meetings with any conference speakers that have booths on the floor and all of the issuers, of course. And so in theory, if you've done your research prior to the show, and I recommend everybody does this just to increase the productivity of your day, before you come to the show, log on to our MeetMax software, and all registrations have this email to them. They can schedule their entire two days worth of meetings, and all of these meetings are automatically positioned in our VIP room. So we've got 20 tables set aside and a little cordoned off area, coffee service, a host to guide everybody and making sure they know where they're going, and, and they can organize their own 15-minute meetings throughout the day. That's excellent. I haven't seen anything like that in Vancouver before. It'll be a nice addition. You know, the trade show provides value, and I think it provides substantial value. You know, our attendees consistently rank in some of the higher, more affluent investor base in Canada. We're very proud of that, but if we can increase engagement, increase meetings and one-on-one time, that's to everybody's benefit. And how many exhibiting companies do you expect to attend? We've capped this show at 60. And these are all top-tier companies, in your opinion? That's right. In Vancouver in January, we open up the floor. We really bring the entire industry out. Although the market's turned, you know, I'd say we're cautiously optimistic. And so we limited the participation to 60 companies. That allowed us to be a bit more selective. And I think that's important right now. Well, Jay, once again, it's been great visiting with you. I look forward to seeing you very shortly in Vancouver for the Metal Writers Conference on May 28th and 29th. Hey, thank you, Ellis. I appreciate it. Once again, I've been speaking with Jay Martin, the president of Cambridge House International, presenters of the International Metal Writers Conference, again, which I'll be attending in Vancouver, British Columbia, on May 28th and 29th. For more information on this conference, go to CambridgeHouse.com. That's CambridgeHouse.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gordon Neal, Vice President of Corporate Development for Silvercorp Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVMLF and on the TSX as SVM. Silvercore is a low-cost silver-producing Canadian mining company with multiple mines in China. The company recently commenced commercial production at its GC project in southern China. The company's vision is to deliver shareholder value by focusing on the acquisition of underdeveloped projects with resource potential 
capital and the ability to grow organically. Today, I'm speaking with Mr. Neal at the Minds and Money Conference in New York City. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Alice. Now, why do you feel it's important to attend and present at conferences like this? I think you have a lot of shareholders who come out to these events. You've got to show yourself to be available to shareholders in all kinds of venues. As a company, during that awful downturn we have in the last four years, Silver Corp was not really visible. It was going through some trials and tribulations, and the market was you know, also pulling back its horns in terms of expenditures, trying to keep them low. But now that the market's come back to a certain degree, we think it's important to get out in front of shareholders, show them that we're available and around and alive and market ourselves. Are you finding new potential shareholders, folks that are hearing your story for the first time and like to learn more about your company? Yeah, the main thing is when you look at Silvercorp, first of all, a lot of existing shareholders were happy to see that we returned to the floor and said, we haven't seen you for years, thank God. We still hold your stock, but we thought you died on a vine somewhere. But it's good to see you back. And second, it is good to get out and see people. I understand you have a new endeavor, new for the company in Latin America. Let's talk about that. We have an affiliate company called New Pacific Holdings. When I say affiliate, Silvercorp owns 16% of the company. And Dr. Ruyifeng, the CEO of Silvercorp, owns 7.5%. So we owe about 22% of the company, 23%. They just announced a transaction in Bolivia where we're picking up the Silver Sand Project for $32 million. It's a high-grade silver project, and we can get it into production fairly quickly, which is the Silvercorp model. As you know, Rui Fang took Silvercorp public in 2003-2004 and generated $30 million worth of revenue through direct shipping ore in 2007, and, and that minimized dilution of shareholders. So we're hoping to do the same thing, or New Pacific's hoping to do the same thing again in Bolivia. Will they be using a similar model that you've used at the Ying Mine Project? Yes. The mineralization is different. The widths are different, so it's not narrow vein mining. But getting it into production quickly and minimizing dilution to shareholders is something that that part of the model we will use. Break down how that might affect shareholders of Silvercorp. Well, I mean, for example, Silvercorp has not issued any new shares in the last five years. In fact, it bought back four million shares. Some of our peers in that downturn that I spoke about earlier have, in order to capitalize themselves in a tough time, issued quite a few shares. So if shareholders are concerned about and should be concerned about or want to minimize dilution, the best way that we see that we can do that, or Dr. Fang does, is to get projects into production as quickly as possible. The projects that we look for have to have grade because grade mitigates against all kinds of situations and silver price fluctuations. And if you can generate revenue early, you minimize the need, or not negate, but minimize the need to go back to the market for capitalization. Now, you're the biggest silver producer in China. You're most likely one of the largest silver producers in the junior mining space, including much of what's going on in Latin America with other companies and what have you. And yet your share price, where it's at, I'm guessing there's potential for a lot of upside and it should be there already comparatively. Yeah, we think we've got a lot of upside value in Silvercorp. I'm actually right now putting together a price to nav, and I think a chart, which we'll include in our presentation, I'm pretty certain that it'll show there's quite a bit of value for us. We're trading at a low multiple to our peers. What are your thoughts about the physical metal, the silver market itself right now? Well, I'm always hopeful that the silver market will go up, that we'll get a better price, but 
but global forces and growth forces and political forces can put headwinds against gold, which obviously has an effect on silver. And we'll just have to see where it goes. I really have a difficult time sometimes predicting silver price, because if I could predict silver price, as I said before, we wouldn't be having this interview. I'd be living at the top of Trump Tower. But yeah, I'm hopeful that we've hit a bottom or we've had a, a really, a run that's pushed us back with the GDXJ, as I talked about last time. And I'm just hopeful that we can move forward. And again, having said that, if silver prices retrench themselves, if you have grade and we've got grade, you actually can weather the storm and still make money. I mean, we can still make money. It's $15, $16. Silver Corp is still making money. And of course, you're generating revenue consistently no matter what the market's doing. That's right. And that's because of grade, right? I mean, it's again, I keep mentioning the word grade, but you got to look for companies that have grade because everybody asks the question, what's going to happen with silver prices and it's going to go forward? I always ask the question, if silver or gold retrench and go backwards, who's going to be left standing to making money and, and gaining, making some earnings when it goes backwards? It's the companies that have grade. Well, Gordon, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining me here in New York. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me again. I've been speaking with Gordon Neal, Vice President of Corporate Development for Silvercorp Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVMLF and on the TSX as SVM. I've been chatting today with Gordon at Minds and Money in New York. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.B and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 9,500-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices, hybrid electric vehicles, and power storage. Pure Energy Minerals announced last year that the company had entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley, not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. Patrick, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. It's good to be with you again. You have a significant recent news release stating that you've entered into an agreement with Lithium X to expand the Clayton Valley properties and you'll receive a $2 million strategic investment. Absolutely, Ellis. I'm very excited. I think if you look at this in the context of taking the next steps, I think it was Robert Friedland who said, get all the land. Robert Friedland said a lot of things, but getting all the land is important. And with this move, with Lithium X and our partners at GeoExplore, the underlying claim owners, we have consolidated the lion's share of Clayton Valley's brine prospective ground. And we're very excited. We literally have the deepest part of the basin on the south and continuing right up to the border with the Silver Peak Mine. And we've added a big block of ground on the west side. And then if you jump over to the other side of Albemarle's Silver Peak Mine, we, of course, now have a large block on the north of the basin as well. So I think that getting all the land is key. And these are the kind of moves that you have to make as a mining developer. And we're very excited to have announced that recently. Well, you've more than doubled your land package, haven't you? That's right. The Lithium X ground brings about 15,000 acres in round numbers to our existing property there. So you're looking at about 26,000 acres of total holdings of federal mining claims in Clayton Valley. And that's important because we don't know exactly where this brine is going to take us. And we've just had a nice discovery in our CV8 well of some deeper, higher grade brine. And just a kilometer west of that, we've now added part of that ground. And then on the north as well, Lithium X did drill one well 
up there near the Albemarle property boundary, and they too found this gravel layer with some lithium brine in it. So we already know there's brine to chase in the north as well. And I think it's important to start with that large land position, consolidate, and then we'll let the resource tell us where to go next. And this way we have all the land we need for future facilities and all of that, assuming we're successful to take it in that direction. There are two major players in there. You mentioned Lithium X and Aldemar. You're up against Aldemar's property and you're now in business with Lithium X. What does this mean for the future of pure energy minerals? Look, it makes perfect sense for Paul and Brian and the Lithium X team to focus in Argentina with their strategy there. And this leaves their property obviously in very good hands, such good hands that they wanted to be a a sizable shareholder and to put a nominee on the board and also to lock up their shares, to show support for us, to give us time to make big moves here. And in alliance with Paul, that's a relationship I've had before. Paul Matisic, of course, was my partner in founding Lithium One. So we've worked together before and this shows support for Pure Energy's management and strategy. And at the same time, they know these assets are in good hands. And like you said, there's two big players out there. And I would say now they're Albemarle and Pure Energy. You mentioned some adjustments and additions to your team. How important is team growth and evolution to continuing the development of your company? I believe taking the next steps from a junior company to a developer and ultimately to be a producer of lithium or any other metal, I believe those next steps incorporate a couple of things. First, you've got to get the right project and get all the ground and execute on a technical level, which I think Pure Energy has a reputation for doing. It's tough work out there to develop any mineral project. And then we've taken this now with new technology being introduced and we've run our pilot plant. So the technical execution is in place. However, the people on the team are critical. Really, their importance can't be overstated. And we've just added two really strong new players. First, a little over a month ago, we brought Walter Weinig on board as our new vice president for projects and permitting. Guy with 30 years experience, a hydrogeologist. So he's technical, as I am, and as Andy Robinson was, our former COO. However, Walter is also a professional project manager, Ellis. That means he's one of those guys who ticks the boxes and makes the timeline and the gap analysis that's needed to make sure you deliver your next milestone. So Walter has uh, already come on board. He's in Argentina as we speak, rolling out our program there. But he's been critical to come alongside and seeks to have these tasks put into his bailiwick. And we're just making a great team there. And and it's been terrific to have Walter on board. On another front, we've added a new director, Mr. Scott Shellhaus. We announced Scott a couple of weeks ago coming on board. And here's a man with 40 years experience in the industry. Started out as a lawyer, went into Cypress Minerals Corporation initially, and then presented presided over a lot of their M&A work from the legal side, and then took leadership roles as president of Cypress Amax Gold and other of their divisions. But perhaps most importantly, Scott was the president of Cypress Foot Mineral Company, and they were, of course, the owner of the Silver Peak Mine back in the 90s. So here's a guy who's literally been an executive in a lithium-producing company. He's been part of numerous deals on the mergers and acquisitions side, and he even later in his career got experience in the junior world, a junior that actually built a mine as his role as president and COO of Thompson Creek Metals. And there, of course, he presided over huge projects in British Columbia, Mount Milligan and Molybdenum Project there. So Scott's got big project experience. He's got that legal acumen that we like to have on a good board of directors. And I have to say, it's been a pleasure to work with him as we've done a couple of deals since he came on board, obviously, raised a little bit of money, and then, of course, just completed this acquisition. So Scott's already making a contribution and uh, really adds that level of wisdom and experience to the board that every junior company likes to have. Are you on? 
on target to become a producer? Every junior company faces the decision trees where you go down the exploration path and you make a discovery and, and you start having strategic discussions with potential acquirers or partners or, of course, the engineering companies that want to help you build it. And let me say that I've enjoyed those experiences at Lithium One. We did that. We worked with engineering companies. We talked with off-takers. At Pure Energy, of course, we're doing that. We're talking more and more to engineering companies and, of course, to off-takers, including, our, of course, our conditional supply agreement with Tesla Motor Company. We make our decisions on our project based on what the data are telling us, and we continue to grow and advance it. Right now, we're in an exciting time. We're within a few weeks of announcing the first economic study on the Clayton Valley project. I'm going to have to call it a phase one PEA now, as a matter of fact, because we don't know exactly how much bigger or different this project gets with the new acquisition, of course, but it does change things probably going forward. So when I think about development and becoming a producer, I think the data and the project will tell us which way to go, Ellis, and I think we'll either build this project or we'll get paid not to, and I think that's typically how these things would advance. The lithium space has grown into a highly speculative arena with the junior companies. That's not what pure energy is about. Much less speculation, much more focused on exploration and development. You know, there are these definitions thrown around in the investing world, and and certainly in the U.S. with the giant capital markets that we have here, people refer to junior investments, particularly junior mining companies, as speculative. I prefer to use the words growth companies. Really, the reason we do what we do is there's a need for discovery of more lithium There are those who wish to fund that work and invest in that space. And obviously, those tend to be investors who like prospects of a high reward. And of course, with that comes risk when you invest in any smaller company. But to the extent that it's speculating, meaning you buy and hope the stock price goes up, I think a lot of companies would fall into that category, Ellis. And certainly, that's a reasonable expectation for an investor. However, when you think about growth, you need to think about, are the fundamentals in place? Is the project a good one? Does it have the ground it needs to progress it, the technology it needs to progress it to the next milestone? And then does it have the team to deliver with that? And in that sense, I like to think of what we're doing as very much a growth enterprise, and uh, we hope investors surveil the landscape and see something like Pure Energy as uh, a company they'd like to grow with. Patrick, it's always good to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. It's always great to be here, especially when the news is happening fast and furious as it is these days. Be sure to follow all the latest Pure Energy news, including what we discussed today, by going to their website pureenergyminerals.com. I've been speaking with Patrick Highsmith, CEO of Pure Energy Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as PE.V and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Eric Owens is the president and CEO of Alexandria Minerals Corporation. Alexandria Minerals Corporation trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and in the U.S. as ALXDF. Alexandria is an active, growth-oriented Canadian gold exploration and development company with strategic properties located in the world-class mining districts of Val d'Or, Quebec, Red Lake, Ontario, and Snow Lake, Flin Flon, Manitoba. Alexandria's focus is on its flagship property, the large 
Cadillac Brake Property Package in Valdor, which hosts important near-surface gold resources along the prolific gold-producing Cadillac Brake, all of which have significant growth potential. Eric, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Let's give our listeners an overview of the company. Alexandria is a gold exploration company. We're focused on a rather large gold exploration property package in Valdor, Quebec, which is one of the world's premier gold mining districts. And Quebec in general has been a very active gold, both mining and from the exploration stage as well, very active in the last year or two especially. And our activities have been focused in particular on our Oronada Zone 4 deposit, which is in the western portion of this property package. And uh, we've been just recently completed somewhere around 11.1 thousand meters drilling this year so far. I know you've identified additional significant mineralization and very nice grades as referenced through your latest news release. You have a 43101 compliant resource as of 2009 that's current, but what you are now in the process of defining is very significant potentially compared to that resource. Of course, we're going to have to wait for the drill hole data to be rendered complete, and we don't have all the info just yet. What can you tell us about your latest news release? It's significant because it adds considerable volume to the high-grade gold veins that we are discovering in our most recent round of drilling. The resource, as you've noted, dates from 2009. That was constructed or calculated on the basis of one vision of the deposit using data from a predecessor company, and that was viewed the deposit as a disseminated gold deposit in this near-vertical shear zone. We are have, in fact, identified high-grade veins, in fact, a series of of parallel high-grade veins, flat-lying high-grade veins in this deposit. So we now no longer think of it as a disseminated deposit, but as a series of high-grade veins in the shear zone. So it's critical. The importance is that we now have come around and are drilling it from a totally different direction and intersecting these high-grade veins, which weren't intersected previously because they weren't being drilled correctly. And this is all open pit, correct? We hope so. This is very early stages in this. So we've drilled, as I said, about 11,000 meters of drilling here. We've got about 35 holes that we drilled this year. We're still waiting for assays for 22 of those 35 holes. The assay labs have been busy up here in Valdor, Quebec, and we've been waiting for a while to get assays back on some fairly critical holes. But basically, of the holes that we're waiting for, we've got a bunch of step-out holes to the west of the resources that we're eagerly waiting for and could add some considerable potential to this deposit uh, as we move forward. With 22 holes in the assay labs, as you said, stacked up the way they are, we can expect news flow throughout the rest of the summer and into the fall, can we not? I expect to finish the results probably by mid-summer, I would expect. We should be re-drilling by then, but I expect that we'll have every couple of weeks an announcement of more assays coming out of our holes over the next, say, two months or so, maybe three months at the most. We're encouraged because, as I note, the the hole we released today, which uh, intersected very wide, robust gold veins, including 9 grams per ton over 13.8 meters, and even a much wider zone from the 3.82 grams per ton gold over 63, roughly 63 meters. They tell us that the zone is quite robust here. And back to your question of an open pitable thing, even though we look at these things as a series of high-grade parallel gold veins, they sort of act in the same capacity as what you might look at as a mine for a disseminated deposit. So we look at it as a bulk tonnage operation. I think each one of these veins by themselves probably wouldn't be mined, but collectively they make a good bulk tonnage story. And at what point will we have a new compliant indicated resource? 
Our next phase of drilling, which we expect to begin here in the next three to four weeks after the spring thaw finally dries out here, we anticipate a 30,000-meter drill program, which will test three sectors of this project that will consist of uh, infill drilling and step-out drilling, basically, to the east and the west of the resources. Our goal is to have a new resource estimate by the end of this calendar year. And for that, we need to do about 30,000 meters of drilling and complete that by, at the latest, mid-September, and preferably earlier than that. And I think three drill rigs should be able to handle that over the next three to four months or so. Now, you and I aren't the only believers in your story. You have some institutional investors that are worth noting. We have a a lot of supporting actors out there, so to speak. In particular, most recently and notable has been the addition of the Sprott Group in general with us. They've helped finance last December, as well as Eric Sprott himself has stepped in and invested in us as recently as a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, we closed that financing. I understand that overall Sprott is very hopeful about the next 18 months in the sector. Yeah, it's great. They're quite involved. They're helping to get the word out. They're introducing us to a lot of people, and that's what we need. We need to get the story out to as many people as possible and have people pay attention to what we're doing. Of course, you also have projects in Manitoba and Ontario. What's going on there? Our purpose with those properties are to either let them just lie low a little bit because our real focus is what we're doing at Oronada in Val d'Or, Quebec. We have joint ventured off or signed agreements, signed joint venture option earning agreements to have other junior companies earn in their portion to these properties while completing exploration work on those things. So we've done that with our Matachuan properties. We've done that with our Shibugamu, Quebec properties, and Matachuan being in Ontario, also along Cadillac Break where Val d'Or is located just west of this, west of us here. Then we also signed a deal with Probe uh, Metals to have them earn in an interest in the eastern third of our Valdor property, so a portion of that. That's a nice one because it's blue sky or a moose pasture, so to speak, well-placed, good, well-located, but there's been very little work done on that, and we don't have time to do work on that. Our Manitoba properties are nice. I like those because we have some gold, copper resources, zinc and silver, minor metals as well with that, but we don't have to do any work on those, and I, I'm sort of saving those for a rainy day or maybe somebody wants to make an offer as copper prices start to increase. They're gold-rich, so I like that story, and there's upside potential on, on these things as well. Overall, what would you say to the potential investor looking at Alexandria for the very first time? Why should they consider getting involved? It's a good growth story, just pure and simple, right off the bat. It's a growth story from the exploration activities we have. If we do everything right between now and the end of the year, I expect to see a resource developed that's going to be in the upper 250 meters that will be open pitable. It's the goal if everything clicks in the way we want it. That over a two-kilometer stretch of the Cadillac break, which could potentially have in between a million and a half and two million ounces of open pitable material in the Valdor district, and, and having something like that in Valdor will be worth a lot. Now, that's just the first step. We think there's a lot of growth potential beyond that, both along strike and at depth. We're not going to concern ourselves yet with the depth part of it. We're going to keep our drilling shallow and test the the near-surface stuff first. After the first resource, I would anticipate spreading our wings a little bit beyond that two kilometers and, and branch out along strike even further. With that in mind, considering that our market cap is 30 or $40 million these days, Canadian that is, that's about $40 million, I guess. We're quite undervalued compared to other similar companies 
and other similar staged companies. So as we move down the path of bringing this new resource out, I think we'll be able to see some upward pressure on on our stock price. Uh, That's the hope anyway. Well, Eric, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. We look forward to updates as they happen over the course of the next few months and into the fall. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you, Alice. Always a pleasure. I've been chatting with Eric Owens of Alexandria Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and the U.S. as ALXDF. Download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and on your TuneIn Radio app. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Giannis Sittos, president of Gold Source Mines, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GXS.V. Gold Source is a Canadian junior mining company producing gold in mining-friendly English-speaking Guyana, bordering the Caribbean and South America. Giannis, welcome back to the program. Thank you for the invitation, Alice. Thanks a lot. Give us an overview of the company, if you don't mind. Colsos Mines is a Canadian explorer and developer. The head flag project is called Eagle Mountain Gold Project. It is located in South America in a country called Guyana, the only English-speaking country of South America. And we are in a phase of development of the project. For people who have followed us recently, have seen the last 18 months, we have gone through the first phase of a pilot plant being gravity plant. And now we are in a phase where we are going to expand the resource and also move to a feasibility study towards uh, gravity cyanide or CIL kind of processing down the line for 2017 and 18. What news do you expect to be rolling out during the next few months or so? Okay, as we put uh, an announcement just a week ago on May 2nd, and I urge people to go and see this news release, we announced uh, two things on exploration and operations kind of different outlook. Let's start with exploration. We do know of a significant resource already at Eagle, and for people who do not know us, we are collectively between inferred and indicated almost a million ounces at about 0.5 cutoff. So the grade is about 1.32 as a compliant resource, and it's all out there on cedar.com under a PEA, a preliminary economic assessment report we did in 2014. Now, our focus, I would like to remind the audience, is on saprolite, which is the near surface or on surface soft part of the rock, the oxide part of the rock, where you find free gold, and obviously the strip ratio is extremely low if uh, actually at the moment we have no waste at all, so we mine straight from surface. This is a low-hanging fruit for the company, so we do know of about 380,000 ounces between the two categories in this kind of layer. As people will understand, when we go to mine that part, the operating cost will be very low because you don't lose money by mining waste at the same time with mining ore. So the biggest plan for the next six to nine months is to continue with our drilling. The project is open in terms of mineralization in three lateral directions. So we have bought our own rigs and we are going to start drilling actually next week we are starting, but we are announce it in the first week of May. We will drill for about six to nine months with two objectives. The one is to expand the resource to at least six to seven hundred thousand ounces on saprolite. I repeat, I'm not mentioning the hard rock ounces, okay? So just saprolite, focusing on saprolite. And in order to sustain a 10 to 12 years mine life for a gravity CIL development. The second objective is to do 
infill drilling to improve the categorization of the resources. In other words, move most of the inferred into indicated and measured and therefore be able during the feasibility study to produce reserves, mining reserves. So the second task for the summer and the fall, and therefore a lot of news coming beyond that, is to conclude metallurgical testing on sanitization and incorporate all new resource outline and testing into a PFS, a pre-feasibility study, to start sometime in summer, in the coming month, and be concluded, hopefully, as we said on the news release, before the end of H1 2018. So the next 12 months will involve a lot of work from our side, both drilling, resources, metallurgical testing, and obviously conclusion through the whole financial modeling. And I'm talking now beyond the pilot plan we have into a four to 5,000 tons per day operation that will incorporate gravity processing and also CIL, cyanization. And why we go there, Ellis, is because in 2017, through the pilot plan, and as we were de-risking the project with this first phase development, we recognize that the recoveries on a pure gravity plant pretty low. So the gold recoveries, and therefore you have to move towards cyanide. We always had this plan to do it. I want to remind people that we said we will do four years of development through gravity and then move to cyanization. What we know now at a very low capital cost as we spent in 2016 and 17, and through the operating cost of last year, that we have to move to cyanization faster than we thought because significant amount of our gold is in very fine, fine grain form. What do you estimate the potential cost of production per ounce of gold to be? Look, because we are not going to blast any rock and effectively mine on surface, as we have experienced even from last year through the current operation, the operating costs are very low. So it's very difficult for me to do the prediction, but uh, I assume will be probably low. And actually, let's put it this way, our target is to keep that lower than $650 per ounce. And obviously, in that kind of development and with this kind of grade and this tonnage, as I mentioned, per day, the target for us is to produce something between 50 and 65 5,000 ounces. Now, I repeat again, this is not happening on this pilot plant. It's going to happen when we develop the CAL plan in about 18 months to 24 months from now. What does the share structure and capitalization look like? We have 166 million shares. We're about $21 million company. I feel we are kind of definitely undervalued at the moment, given that uh, the market for the precious metals in the last three months with the strength of U.S. dollar has come a little bit boomerang to all of the junior miners and developers. But a significant part in relation to the capital structure and to remind your audience is that the management has a significant skin in this game. There is no financing in the last five years of this company that members of this management and to some extent some dependent directors, not the independent people obviously, have participated in financings. We concluded the financing in January 2017. Probably 80% of the people involved, uh, I say it as a percentage because I know I participated, Eric Fear participated and all the key figures here participated in this financing. So this is a group of having a skin in the game, very loyal shareholders beyond us and therefore pursuing this kind of model of risk in Eagle Mountain and make it a decent mine down the line. You mentioned Eric Fear. He, of course, is part of the very successful management team of Silvercrest Metals. 
Correct. I'm coming from BHP and I have seen lots of mining engineers and people in my career, uh, about 30 years career now. I would say Eric's probably one of the best mining engineers I have met, but it's not what I say is the success on his track record. And people can Google his name or see Silvercrest Mines and what happened there. So Eric has put a few mines in production in his career. He is our chief operating officer at Golsos Mines. And we have a very small dynamic team both in Canada and in Guyana. And I would like to extend that to all our workers. We have an incredible team that has been educated by Newman and I Am Gold and in other operations in that country and obviously now working for us. So from kind of even the pilot plan operators and truck operators to geology and management, we have a very strong team in both countries. Well, Giannis, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to provide an update, and I hope within the summer or the fall for sure, we will have a lot of good results on drilling, and obviously the expansion of the project and even the metallurgical studies and engineering. At the same time, I didn't mention on the operation side, obviously, just remind people we still operate on an ad hoc basis, producing some gold just to recover our cost, but the plan here is, as I said, to go for the big development in 2018-19. I've been speaking with Giannis Sid- the president of Gold Source Mines, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as GXS and in the U.S. as GXSFF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Join me for a conversation with Michael Sweatman, president and CEO of Eureka Resources Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EUK and in the U.S. as ERKAF. Eureka Resources is an exploration stage company in the business of the acquisition, exploration, and evaluation of gold properties located in the province of British Columbia and in the Yukon Territory of Canada, as well as lithium in the state of Nevada. Forward-looking statements may be made. Mike, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. If you wouldn't mind, give us some background on Eureka Resources. Well, the company was founded in 1981, and it was founded to develop what we call now the FG Project, then called Fraser Gold. It was founded by a prominent Vancouver entrepreneur, Mr. Jack O'Neill. He founded the Coast Hotel chain, actually. The company worked on this property or had joint venture partners work on this property since 1981 and has spent over $15 million have been spent by various joint venture partners over the years. The project on the company was basically dormant when current management group took over in June of 2015. And we tidied a few things up and optioned out the FG property to Canark Resources. Canark, you may know, is run by Brad Cook, also of Endeavor Silver. So they're a very, very prominent and strong group, and we expect them to they'll be spending half a million dollars this summer in the Caribou region. Our projects to date cover three distinct regions, Nevada, Yukon, and the Caribou area of British Columbia. Tell us more about the lithium property in Nevada. Our property is a real raw exploration project located about 40 miles southeast of the Clayton Valley. Now, the Clayton Valley is quite famous. It's the only producing lithium property in the United States. And with the rise to prominence of Tesla and the Tesla Gigafactory being built near Reno, Nevada, this was a really good prospect for us. And we hope to drill this property later on in the summer. It's a really, really good exploration prospect. Would you keep that in Eureka or would you 
potentially spin that out, or you don't know right now until you do? We don't really know. I mean, we're hoping to be successful, obviously, and if we are successful, then there'll be some decisions as to made as to whether we go forward with the project or we try to monetize it. We took on the project as a defensive measure in June of 2016 when the price of gold looked like it was going to 800 Of course, we purchased the property and immediately the price of gold went up. So it's turned out to be sort of an add-on that's not the prime focus of the company. So we'd like to drill it, find out what we've got, and then make some decisions about the property. It's interesting because you've selected projects in two areas that experienced gold rushes in the past. The Caribou District in British Columbia all the way back to the 1850s and the Yukon in the 1890s. That's really what we tried to do. We made a strategic decision to go after gold in areas where gold has been found before. We find that that's a pretty good starting point for this. And the Yukon, of course, with the 1898 gold rush and the Caribou with gold rushes in the late 1850s, early 1860s. So we have three properties in the Caribou District, previously noted the Fraser Gold or FG project, as we call it. We have our Gold Creek project, which is located adjacent to the Spanish Mountain deposit, which recently released a preliminary economic assessment, and our recently acquired CKN project, which is right next to the Gibraltar copper mine in central British Columbia. So that's good. Going where gold and resources have been found before. I'm sorry, uh, are you looking for copper too? We're actually looking for gold. Interestingly enough, the Gibraltar copper mine doesn't have any gold in it, but the property that we've acquired quite close to them does have indications of gold in soil samples. So we think we may be on to either a different phase of the mineralization or something that's caused the gold to come to our particular location, but we are right next to their property. We're seeing recent interest in the Yukon as some of the majors are coming in and acquiring or doing joint ventures before any of these junior companies even think about going into production or further developing their resources. They're almost automatic targets. Is that what you're hoping for? This is exactly what we're looking for. I mean, the Klondike, White Gold, Dawson Range area. The source of the Klondike gold has never been found. We are, of course, that's one of the motivations for looking at. There is gold in the creeks that drain our properties or are adjacent to our properties in the Yukon. Gold in the creeks had to come from somewhere, usually upslope. The natural riffles that created by streams and stuff create the placer mines, but the hard rock source of this gold is really what we're looking for. You know you have placer, but you're looking for the hard rock. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have any placer claims. There's two different types of claims. There's the placer claim, which is from surface down to the bedrock, and then there's the hard rock claims, which underlie that. It's not necessary that the gold will be found in the same exact area as the gold because over the millennia the gold has arrived at the creek bottoms through natural erosion processes. So hopefully we can find a source of that gold. Which project are you most excited about right now? They're all at different stages. I would suggest that the Gold Creek project or our Fraser Gold project certainly is the most advanced. It has a million ounce resource. It's broken down as measured and indicated resource of 376,000 ounces and 634,900 furred ounces at that property. So it's definitely further along. And that's the reason that we optioned it to Canark was because they're going to spend some money and try and expand the resource. Quite intensive drilling is going to be involved, and the cost for us was just going to be prohibitive in terms of dilution. So we've taken on some projects that are a little bit less advanced, Gold Creek being probably our most advanced of the remaining projects, and that being right next to a resource at Spanish Mountain. And then we have our Yukon projects where there's gold in the creeks, but there's been really 
not a whole lot of work done on those properties. And what our intention is, is to fly an airborne survey over those Yukon projects to try to develop some targets where we can go in on the ground. But we'll fly over those projects this early part of the summer and hopefully we'll develop some targets to go after on the ground later on and towards the end of the exploration season. What sort of news flow do you expect over time? Newsflow will be announcing commencement of work, and as results are available, we'll certainly provide them. It's a pretty unique thing that we're going to be drilling on three different properties, one in Nevada. Secondly, in the Gold Creek project, we intend to drill a couple of holes, and Canark will be drilling extensively on our FG project. So there'll be a significant amount of news flow probably towards the later part of the summer and into the fall because I think Canark's not actually going to start their program till sometime in early August. We hope to get on to the Gold Creek project earlier than that in late May or early June. We have to do some assessment work in order to hold on to the claims. We'll have news flow pretty steadily throughout the summer. Some of it will be more exciting than others and hopefully we have some discoveries because we have the potential to make discoveries. We've got Nevada with the lithium project. We've got Gold Creek drilling. And then later on in the summer, the FG project will be drilled. So there'll be lots of work when we do our airborne survey, which we're in the process of trying to find some fuel caches. We'll be caching fuel for the helicopter survey, which will be coming hopefully later in May. There'll be steady news flow throughout the summer. What does your share structure look like? We have currently 38 million shares outstanding. More than 20% of it is held by management and by directors. We're in good shape as far as that goes. Everybody's committed. The rest of the shares rest with original shareholders as far back as 1981. In fact, I've had calls from some of those old shareholders. Oh, my dad's been dead for 25 years and we found out because you send out proxy materials that we own some shares. How many do we own? There's been a little bit of that go on too. So this share structure is quite tight. Hoping to get some more interest in the company by talking to people like yourself. Where are you trading at lately? Well, we've been trading in the nine or 10 cent range, which I think is fair for what we've got. We've got a market cap of about $3.8 million. It won't take much, I think, to add value to that. Whether the market reflects it is one thing, but certainly we feel that we have the ability to add significant value if we have successful programs. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. We'll look for news as you have it in future broadcasts. Thanks for joining me on the program. Well, thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Michael Sweatman, President and CEO of Eureka Resources Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EUK and in the U.S. as ERKAF. Forward-looking statements may have been made. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Join me for a conversation with George Sanders, President of Gold Cliff Resource Corporation, trading as GCFFF in the U.S. and GCN on the TSX. SX Venture Exchange. Gold Cliff is a mine development company focused on near-term cash flow by applying the phased production business model to precious metals assets. The company is currently funding engineering and permitting activity on the Pine Grove, Nevada Gold Project through a 40% joint venture interest. Mr. Sanders was part of the team that successfully brought the Silvercrest Mine Santa Elena project to fruition as a mine, selling it off to First Majestic Silver. George, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Ellis. Always a pleasure. You just released news stating that permitting has advanced at the Pine Grove Project in Nevada. Let's talk about how important this permitting process is. Well, certainly, and the key word you used in that question is process. Everything that we're doing in trying to achieve our end goal, which is to make Pine Grove become a 
free cash flow generator as quickly as possible. Everything involved in that is a process, particularly all the issues relating around permitting. They are not singular events or one point in time thresholds, but really an ongoing process. So the disclosure the other day was the appointment of senior permitting consultant and his role will be in assisting the Pine Grove Joint Venture in streamlining the process and in the communications that are important in the process. And if I can just take a brief second to talk about the communication part. You know, those of us in this business are obviously entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have a particular, I would say, personality. There are personality traits and there are certainly characteristics of the entrepreneur. Among those characteristics are that we are solution-oriented, we're problem solvers, we're pushers, we want to get things accomplished and move forward. Those traits, those characteristics, personality types that lead to those are oftentimes quite a bit different from the traits and personality types of a bureaucrat. And in the process of communicating between a project sponsor, the owner of a would-be project, and the regulatory agencies, sometimes that communication can get offside just because of the differences in personalities and approaches to business. Not that there's any intention of those communications getting offside, but they've happened a lot. And if they're not controlled, sometimes the getting offside can become downright adversarial and then everything just takes an awful lot longer and it's an awful lot more expensive. So the fellow that we've engaged to assist us with this is a former high-level bureaucrat. He was the assistant deputy for mining for the BLM in Nevada. He knows how to speak the language. He knows what the bureaucrats in the various local, state, and federal agencies, he knows how they speak. He knows what their needs are. He's going to be able to represent What we want to do, we think in a more efficient and in a better communication style than we ourselves could do. So we're delighted that he's excited about the Pine Grove project and has gotten involved with it. So you've bridged an important gap. Very much so. I have permitted in other places. I've permitted exploration programs many times in my career. Our director, Paul Saxton, who's also the president of our joint venture partner, he's been responsible in mine building now several times and permitted those, including permitting a large operation in California, that had a serious desert tortoise issue. So we've both been involved in the permitting process in the past, but we know having someone on side with us who speaks the language of the regulators is very, very important. The project has been advanced in terms of the baseline environmental work and archaeological work. That stuff's already been done a couple years ago by the joint venture partner. It's kind of restarting this process and getting it move forward as quickly as possible. There are two important areas, the most important which will be the submission of the plan of operations for the mine. 
that takes obviously a little bit of a longer time and has a lot more inputs to it. So this fellow will be assisting us in preparing that. But the second thing we want to do, which is a nearer term, we want to expand on the drill program that we completed last December. And we were drilling on patented claims at that point, which don't require a permit. And we drilled as far as the claim boundary. We were fortunate enough to identify a new zone of mineralization. That new zone continues beyond the patented claims onto the regular load claims, which are also owned by the Pine Grove Joint Venture. And so the follow-up drilling will require a permit. And this fellow has been working already very closely with our exploration group to submit that permit. Well, George, I certainly do appreciate the update. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Always a pleasure. I've been speaking with George Sanders, president of Gold Cliff Resource Corporation, trading as GCFFF in the U.S. and GCN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, and go to goldcliff.com for more information on the company. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They've paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 